another left-wing dictatorship is going down the tubes, and this time we're not talking about Venezuela, but Nicaragua. My name is Richard Miles, the host of 35 West. Joining me today is Mark Schneider, a senior associate at CSIS, among other things, including former director of the Peace Corps, a senior USAID official, and a staffer for Senator Ted Kennedy. Welcome back, Mark. Thank you. So last time you were on the show, I think back in September, so we were talking about Venezuela and the dire situation there, and we're still talking about that. Um, but today uh, we have another dumpster fire in the region called Venezuela, called Nicaragua. And um, in short, you know, we had the government of Daniel Ortega using government security forces and pro-regime paramilitary troops to go after protesters. So far, uh, as of today, July 24th, about 300 civilians have been killed and about uh, 19 policemen. So, Mark, give us sort of, before we plunge into the here and now and what's going on in the headlines, give us kind of a short tutorial. I know you're an expert on Central America and Nicaragua in particular. Uh, Daniel Ortega first took power, what, uh, late 80, mid-80s, right? No, I mean, he, in a sense, he took power when, um, when Somoza was finally forced out after Somoza had carried out the kind of repression that Daniel Ortega right. has been carrying out recently. Um, 79, was in it? In 79. Okay. And so 79, essentially, the, the FSLN, the Sandinistas, came to power. Uh, initially, they were welcomed widely by the, by the Nicaraguan population as having gotten rid of a dictator who had ruled Nicaragua in, in a horrendous manner. Uh, and then over the, the next decade of the 80s, uh, that government was the target of U.S. opposition, U.S. action that included financing a, what was called the Contra Opposition Forces, and that, was, that engaged in uh, ultimately a low-grade low conflict that lasted almost 10 years. Finally, at the end, when the Cold War ended, and so it was clear that the support that the Sandinista regime, which had declared itself to be communist and supported by Cuba, uh, was clearly no longer going to get support. Uh, and there was significant opposition in the U.S. Congress to continued funding for the Contras. Uh, there was a, a force that resulted in a negotiation to set up a fair and free election. And uh, Ortega felt that he was going to win it believed it, and he was wrong. Mm -hmm. And Violeta Chamora, who was the widow of the, one of the, the leading um, opposition to Somoza figures in the country, he was the editor and owner of the, um, of the paper uh, in, um, in Nicaragua when he was assassinated. Uh, that sort of started the process of, in the 70s repression and then um, that resulted ultimately, as I say, in Ortega coming to power, Somoza being thrown out of the country. So she beat Ortega in a fair and free election. And, but she brought into the government, uh, from the private sector, the various strains of opposition to, um, to the Ortega the Sandinistas. Uh, but they never quite coalesced into a, an effective government. Mm -hmm. And so they were always playing catch up. Uh, I actually attended the first donor conference in support of the return to democracy in Nicaragua in 1980. 
I was representing the, quote, the UN, WHO um, at the time. And, uh, and then three years later, when I became the head of USAID, we worked very closely with the uh, USAID in Latin America, very closely with the Chamorro government in trying to deal with the ongoing problems right. of development and building institutions. And I think that one of the things that we failed to do then and subsequent governments failed to do uh, and led to some degree to the ability of Ortega to have done what he, he did is that we sort of we fail to sufficiently understand the need to strengthen the combined institutions, not just of the civilian police, but of the prosecutor's office and the judiciary. And so then, as you know, he came to power in a fair and free election initially in 2006, uh, was reelected in a not fair and free election, and was reelected again in a totally unfair process. Uh, 2016. What he did was he captured control over the electoral offices of the uh, electoral uh, tribunal. He captured control over the Supreme Court, and he captured control over the legislature. He holds now, essentially, all, all the of control. the institutions that would normally be of a democracy under single, almost family as opposed to party control. In other words, he and his wife, she's now vice president. And to some degree, they represent, as you said, they represent dictatorial control over the country, not a democratic government. And how has Nicaragua fared uh, economically, say, since uh, you know the '90s? And you well, know, remember, I think you have to go back. It, Nicaragua, it was, it always was Haiti, Bolivia, and Nicaragua as the three poorest, and Honduras as the four poorest countries. Nicaragua's got, relatively speaking decent natural resources, right. both in terms of its agricultural um, resources. It's a major production of, uh, of beef and, and uh, exporter of beef, particularly in Central America. Um, and it's got some minerals, some gold, et cetera. So it has the potential to have a decent economy. And up until the current crisis, they had a pretty good tourist business as they well, had a right? good tourist business. And what, what Ortega had done... And this resulted in far less attention internationally, including from the United States, than was needed. He made a deal without saying written down with the private sector in Nicaragua. Let the private sector function. Obviously, they could not support opposition to him. He made a arrangement with the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank and the, the other international financial institutions in the sense of, tell me what the macroeconomic policy is, and I'll hold to it. Unfortunately, everything else was corruption. And, and that's really, the, the problem is that, that Nicaragua at this stage, it's it sort of hollowed out. The institutions are hollowed out, and the economy is hollowed out. So, um Let's talk about the current crisis now. I mean, in, in a way, it sort of snuck up on us, right? I mean, we are a focus of most policymakers has been on the Northern Triangle countries and the, the gang violence there and, and so on. And then all of a sudden, Nicaragua comes back into view in a, in a very big way. And it started with basically public pension reform, right? Or at least an announcement that uh, benefits would be cut or, or so on. And then it snowballed from there. What what were the dynamics, Mark, that, that you know, you went from – Government announcement of government cuts 
to paramilitaries storming churches and shooting people. Yeah, I, mean, I think, again, partly what it was was that those cuts in pensions and Social Security were, were sort of recommended by the international financial world, international financial institutions, in order to keep the deficit the down. Deficit down. Okay. But they weren't recommended to do it today. I see. It, they, if he had the idea was to phase it, it in over and, a long period of time, but if he'd done that, he would have had less money to steal from the public budget, and so he did it immediately. So he'd keep on having enough money to guarantee paying payoffs. And what was the magnitude of the cuts? Do you know? I don't remember. I, don't, I can't give you the dollar right, figure sure. equivalent, um, but they're very significant in terms of the little that the pensioners were receiving. So you cut a pensioner, any retiree, by 35 or 40 percent. Right. That's a big, big it's, chunk. It, you know, it destroys you. Right. So the uh, cuts were just uh, pensioners, but then protests develop, and then a wider group of people started joining those protests. And uh, this goes to what's happened in the process of Ortega moving from fr freely elected in 2006 less freely elected in 2011, not freely elected in 2016. And that was his corrupt and authoritarian takeover of those institutions, like the courts, like the electoral tribunal. And the, the worst thing, I think, was his decision to void the, the major opposition party that was going to run against him in the, the elections by essentially saying that it was that the candidate was not the candidate of a party because he enabled the party when, when the people were out of the sort of out of the room to vote for new leadership in the party. And then said, oh, that's the party, and they don't want this guy as candidate. If, if you remember the story of the Mensheviks and the Bolsheviks, mm -hmm. that's exactly, exactly what happened. So he, he basically took, he took over the opposition party right. and ensured that the opposition party would not choose the one significant opposition candidate to run against him. A few days ago, Marco Rubio said, quote, um, there's a, the possibility of civil war in Nicaragua is real. Uh, that it would trigger a migratory crisis, undermine our anti-drug efforts, and it turned a direct national security threat uh, for the United States. Are, are those assertions true? Are they overblown? Are they understated? No, I'm never what going do you make to it say that United States senator's statements are not true. But, but let me um, just simply say that I think that the question of civil conflict is quite accurate. But it's unlikely to be the kind of civil war context because there's nobody right now anyway funding an organized opposition force to the government's paramilitary thugs and the government's national police. In Nicaragua, the military, the army, it's basically the army, uh, although there is a, a, a navy and air force, but has stayed back. It has not supported the repression of the protesters. And what, what has been sought is for the army to go after the paramilitary thugs and disarm them, which is, it's a legitimate, 
it's a legitimate request from the opposition and from those who understand that those thugs do not represent a legitimate force under the, the Nicaraguan Constitution and should not be allowed to go undeterred. And if the police are um, complicit, the army does have a role. And what sort of political control does Ortega have over the armed forces? I mean, are they well, sort of sitting on the sidelines at this point, or what, I mean, what are I the think indicators? That, that, that over the years, um, obviously for three terms, he's been able to, to name new people, but the army itself remains, according to most uh, observers, relatively and sufficiently independent so that it does not want to be seen as part of the repression. Going back to your comment the, the, about what Senator Rubio said, the other is that there already have been refugees from Nicaragua, 3,000 that I recall going into Costa Rica. And I have no doubt that that refugee number is going to increase. And without question, many of them are going to join the flow through the Northern Americans. Triangle countries into Mexico and to, towards the U.S. Um, the other is that... Nicaragua, the one thing that I will say is that Nicaragua has been uh, cooperating. This is where Ortega has been very savvy. He's made his deals with the private sector. He made his deals with the monetary fund. And he made his deals with the U.S. on drug trafficking so that the Nicaraguan naval forces have generally cooperated with the U.S. on interdicting uh, the boats coming from uh, Colombia um, with cocaine. And they are considered to be relatively um, supportive of a counter-drug effort. Uh, so that, that is reality. Are, are there any tools available to the U.S. or to you know, international regional organizations in, in order to intervene or help in any way? Um, that's question number one. And then question number two, is anyone in the Trump administration paying attention to this crisis in a way that you know, we've, we've Paid to Venezuela. First. I love that you're asking me whether the, anyone in the Trump you're administration. You're so well connected, Mark. You know, you know this. Is paying attention. Um, but I, I, I'll start there. The answer is yes. Uh, they've actually named a career ambassador uh, for whom I have a great deal of respect, uh, Ambassador Todd Robinson, who had served in um, in Guatemala as an ambassador and was the charge in uh, Venezuela until he was thrown out of the country recently by the Maduro government. But even more important in terms of his knowledge, he was in the uh, Bureau for International Narcotics and Law Enforcement at the State Department prior to becoming ambassador to, um, to uh, Guatemala. And so he saw the, the whole process. He knows the lay of the land there. Right. Um, and they've named him as a Central American Special Advisor with a specific focus now on Nicaragua. So that's all to the good. Uh, has enough been done by the administration to deal with the crisis in Nicaragua? My answer is no. Um, what's happened in the past three months that you've described, um, I'd say the administration is about three months behind mm -hmm. in, in, where, in the level of uh, energy, diplomatic energy and actions that it has thus far taken. And what first, are, let me just say the first the first change was last week when uh, at the OAS a resolution condemning Ortega was approved by I believe it was 21 uh, member states, 
and which is a significant majority, um, and urging an, an end to the, the violence and acceptance of the proposal from the church and the opposition and the students in Nicaragua for um, early elections under an acceptable electoral law and an acceptable electoral uh, fair independent uh, agency. What about sanctions, either uh, you know regional or U.S. sanctions? And, and again, on the U.S. side, either sort of individual or right. economic. The, the U.S. has already um, imposed under the Magnitsky Law uh, three, I believe, uh, sanctions against individuals. I don't have any doubt, I don't know their names, that the United States has probably also pulled visas on uh, several other individuals. Um, I believe that what's needed is a, a magnitude leap in, in diplomatic pressure, uh, one that engages first with the Lima Group and the other Latin American leaders uh, in order to have a common strategy for, for placing that kind of diplomatic pressure on the regime to accept the uh, proposal from the church, the opposition, for early elections uh, and for a uh, managed departure of uh, Daniel Ortega and his wife out of the country. Uh, Mark, a couple of days ago, you uh, you mentioned to me that this actually might be an early test of Lopez Obrador to Mexico in terms of, of Mexico's involvement or non-involvement in, in regional crises like this. Um, and I, I think we've already heard from his his foreign secretary to be that uh, basically Mexico would would adopt this policy of non-interventionism. I mean that's traditionally what Mexico has said. That's sort of that it's a throwback to the traditional Mexican policy relative to events in the hemisphere. Um, however, he does not take office until December first. Right. So he can play around with various positions until then. Between right? now and then. Yeah. And the reality is that Nicaragua cannot. There is no way that the situation in Nicaragua can be permitted to remain as it is until December 1st. So I, I think that the it's now time for the U.S. to pull out um, all of its diplomatic uh, firepower and to bring that to bear in partnership with the Lima Group. And I say Lima Group because the, the, sure, the Chile members— and, yeah. Chile or— mm -hmm. um, First, all the countries voted the right way on the resolution, and second, they indiv individual presidents have called for the Lima Group to be engaged more actively. And I think the U.S. needs to make that happen and needs to make it clear that uh, both Daniel Ortega and his wife need to leave the country. And during the interim, there needs to be, as I said, uh, the um, a, a managed transition through fair and free elections. Uh, to a, a next government. Mark, I know you're pressed for time, and uh, but this is actually our very first episode on Nicaragua. Uh, sorry, it's a crisis episode. but It will not be the last <laughs> it one. It will not be the last. Most of our episodes are crisis episodes. But anyway, thank you very much. It was, it was a great recap of sort of where, uh, where Nicaragua was and how it got to where it is today. And uh, look forward to having you back. Thank you. Thank you.